hey, hey, this is Marcia, the MSW coach, and I am back for another episode of my Macro Social Work Your Way podcast. And I am super excited because I have a macro social worker in the house who is currently um, working in the arena of adult protective um, investigations with a state agency. So um, I just want to take a few moments to introduce her. Her name is Tanya Cassid, and she currently serves as a program administrator, but her roots run deep in micro level work. She essentially started on the front lines as an eligibility specialist and she moved her way up the ranks and eventually transitioned her career into macro social work. So, hey, Tanya, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Thank you for having me. So if you would just share a little bit about your background with my um, audience, specifically, would you explain to us what made you want, to, what, first, how did you get into macro social work? Uh, um, just landed in there by accident. <laughs> it was not intentional. Um, it was one of those things that I knew existed but it was not my goal. Um, I really believed that I would be a clinical social worker when I pursued my master's in social work. I thought I would be a clinical social worker. I envisioned myself doing um, discharge at the hospital or doing hospice care, maybe working at a SNF. I, I really thought that I would be working with the elderly, ensuring that they were protected, ensuring that they were receiving the right services because that's where my heart was. So um, when I ultimately landed here where I am today and I realized this is where I was meant to be all along and I look back, I, I really didn't see it coming. It, it really just um, happened authentically and naturally. I, I didn't see it coming. So, um, so before we hit record, Tanya was sharing with me about how she... Um, found the position and congratulations on your new position. Um, I don't know if I said that before I hit record, but she was explaining to me um, how she landed the position that she's in now. Would you share that um, with the audience and just let them know basically how you said it was a match made like <laughs> in <laughs> heaven? <laughs> so when I started, so the I work for the Department of Children and Families in Florida. And I started as an eligibility specialist. So I would, I used to assess for food assistance and cash assistance and Medicaid. And that was just like, I get my foot in the door. I had just moved from New York. So I just wanted something where I could have insurance to um, be able to go to the doctor and take care of myself. And just, I just wanted to have my foot in the door at an agency where it was like a career service opportunity. From there, I was exposed to all of the other agencies that were available there. So I became an investigator. I was an adult protective investigator um, for about three years. And while I was at that job, because I was encountering so many social workers, case managers, and I would, you know, I would, I would converse with them. And I, I was like, you know, I think that's what I want to do. I want to be a social worker. So at the time, my supervisor, he was very supportive. And he was like, well, you know, if you want to go back to school, you know, now's the time. Don't wait too long. Go back to school. So I went back and I pursued my master's of social work. 
So while I'm pursuing my master's and, you know, the second year is upon me and I'm about to graduate and I'm like, well, what am I going to do with this degree? <laughs> you know, I've done the internships, um, I've done the clinical internships and I'm like, yeah, you know, you know, it, this is okay, but I, I don't think talking to people all day <laughs> is for me, like, you know, because I'm like, they, they come and, you know, you're, you're just, you're taking it, you're taking it, you're taking it, but it's a lot to absorb when you, and you, and you have all of these, these thoughts and feelings on you by the end of the day. And I was like, I was like you know, I'm not too sure that this is for me, but I just spent two years again, this so I'm not too sure this is for me. But I, I need to do something with it because I, I want to be a social worker. And a posting came up. It was for a kid coordinator supervisor. And um, if I vaguely remember what the functions were, they were, um, it was um, essentially being a broker between the clients in the community and the resources in the community, like um, coordinating services, assessing for their needs, and um, applying the right interventions. Um, like making presentations, appealing on their behalf. And I was like, I was like, I could do that. And yes, they had the added party, like, you know, you have to supervise the staff. And I'm like, I, I could do that. You know, I, I organize my work. I can organize people, you know, people are people. And I took it, I just felt like it was the job was for me because everything, like all the points they were hitting, it was enough where I could make a difference, but still removed from that day-to-day face-to-face micro work that I just didn't feel like was for me because that's what my internships taught me that it really wasn't for me but I didn't want to give up on social work as a whole so once I, I remember applying for the job and feeling like this is my job this is for me I know I'm gonna get it I have the skill sets I have the ability and like the, the process was really fast. I remember I did the first interview. I did the interview with like two regional pr- um, program managers and it went well. Then I did the interview with the directors of the program and, I, and, and it went well as well. And then I got the job. Now, this is the part I didn't share with you. Now, when I, I remember the first day when I, I was in the room with the direct, the regional director, I'm in the room with the regional director and the regional program manager and all of these individuals. And I'm like, okay, these are the people who run the program. And I remember the, the the sudden dread of, do I belong here? Like, you know, can I do this? I had the worst case of imposter syndrome, even though I was so confident that I was going to get that opportunity. Once I was in the room, I had the worst case of imposter syndrome because I can't necessarily say anything that I did prepared me for the mindset of and the responsibility that I now realize was mine because I remember they told me the director of the program said, no one's going to hold your hand. This is, you know, um, you're, just, you're going to have to just figure this out as you go along. And because it was a pilot program, there were no procedures in place. There were no policies in place. They just had an idea. This is a pilot that they have to, to, for care coordination that they wanted to help the members of the community. And I was responsible for creating the procedures, creating the ideas, planning out how the program would look, implementing interventions, and just creating the program from the ground up. And I was like, I, I was just so afraid that I was going to fail because I was like, am I experienced enough to do this? Yes, I've had the training. I know they've trained me. We've done the projects. In theory, I understand what I'm doing, but can I do it? And I will say, um, because 
for the way how the program was structured, I was the subject matter expertise. So even though I didn't have the experience, all of the schooling that I've, I've had, the internship experience, the interventions that we were taught, just the skill sets, um, just learning about how to diagnose, um, reading DSM-5, even the research. During, I hated research. I was not one of my <laughs> classes. I dreaded, I hated research. But the one thing I do in this job all day long is research. Like that was that was one of my main functions. What makes me successful and what makes everyone thinks I'm the smartest person in the room is because I have the ability to go click around and go and research something and come back and say, "Hey guys, we should try this." And they're like, "What? That's amazing!" And I'm like, "Google, I Google, <laughs> you know, I I Google that I need a plan." But just have th those basic um, core skill sets that those core competencies that we're learning are really useful and it, it, it's so it, it, it's so adjustable like you really can apply it to anything and I think like when people think of macro social work they think of this big monster the same way I did and then when you're finally in the room like you feel like you may not belong there or you may not be smart enough or you may not have the ability but you do those core skills that you're taught even with a bachelor's in social work or a master's, those core skills really make you capable enough to be able to do this function, to do this administrative work. Because yes, it's organizing. Yes, it's planning. Yes, you may um, need to apply an intervention or use a social work tool. But when you think of that, like we all have that ability. If, if you're, if you're self-autonomous and you're self-sufficient and you have that, that ability, you can do it like it, it's we make it a bigger monster than it is because when you're approaching it it seems like this is, is a very tall mountain until you you get here and you realize it, it really is just a small mound under your feet like the background uh those core competencies that they stress that we learn really are all that you need to be a macro social worker those our background is so <laughs> similar that it's just out of this world. So I too have a story about how my one of my professors in my final semester, Dr. Robin Perry, who does a lot of work with your agency, but on the child side. Um, I swear he 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 was grooming me, even though it did not feel like that. <laughs> for my first macro position. And I have a whole story about Dr. Perry and I may tell that one time on this episode, but he taught program evaluation. And so we had to design a, a basically a, a program evaluation, be it real or one that we created in that project. But like you said, those skill sets that I learned from that um, final semester really aided me greatly in my macro role where I was responsible for designing a learning pathway for a global high school. So those skills are important. You also hit on something that was very, that I'm realizing is a running theme with my audience is that a lot, and even my um, cohort members, because 
I lead a six week or I offer a six week career coaching program to help social workers transition from micro work to macro work. Um, and what I'm finding is that a lot of social workers don't believe in their abilities to take on these roles. And so what I'm finding is that a lot of a lot of the pre-work that I'm doing, the work we do in the beginning before we actually get into the like developing your marketing materials and all of the things is spent on mindset and me basically um, preparing them to shift and giving them real examples of this is what you do daily. And this is how this transfers to the macro setting and giving them real world examples. And what and one of my most recent cohorts, the cohort member explained it as developing their macro lens because we only work one on one or on micro settings or even on the mezzo level. Um, we don't really see ourselves as affecting large scale change, but we do it every day. Um, it's just about developing that lens. So I wanted to talk about and you you hit on it about you having a little bit of imposter syndrome. And I admittedly don't know a lot about um, imposter syndrome or what all it entails, but I did want to ask you um, a question before you mentioned that. And it was gonna be around, were you ever hesitant to advance into leadership roles? Um, so being that you were in that interview, how did you get out of that state of mind that you found yourself in for a split second where you were second guessing your ability or even being there, your right to be in that setting? I have to say it was short lived because I checked myself and I checked myself real fast um, because it was like during COVID. So we were all um, in a virtual setting and just the way, like there wasn't an introductory into the, the group. It wasn't, Tanya, well, now this is what we expect of you. So I've been, let's say, um, in that position, I, I stayed in that position for eight months before I was promoted to the program administrator. And I will say, I don't think anyone has me down and say, hey, these are your tasks. These are your functions. This is what we want you to do. Everything that I do on a daily basis is something that I created. <laughs> it, 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 um, no one came and told me do it like this this and this like I had a couple of guides but everything else came were my brainchild like I created based on what I studied and what I felt was worked um some of evidence-based practices that I found but what I just had to tell myself like in the moment I was like you know I was like no you deserve to be here you've done the work you're skilled you you know uh, the uh, accredited association believes that you're skillful enough in order for you to be granted this degree. You're, you, you know, you're meaningful, you're worth it, you're intelligent. I just had to like give myself those positive affirmations and had to like, just check myself out of it. Like, no, like, you know, like you're here, you've made it this far, you beat out candidates, there's something about you. You know, you have the skill set, you have the ability. And if you don't have the ability, you're going to learn it. Um, I, I remember telling myself, like, you know, like, I, you know, sink or swim, what's going to ha happen is um, either we're going to walk away from this, learning some great new skills that we can apply elsewhere if this is not for us, or we're going to flourish. And I will say so far, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm flourishing. Like, you, you kind of rise to the occasion. Like, you may feel that 
you know, like maybe I'm not capable or I'm not qualified enough, but who's to say that you're not qualified? Um, I read an article one that um, most, um, most extroverts energetic and it, and it, it says energetic and sorry. <laughs> Um, my accent is coming out. Like most extroverts who are energized are able to get positions over highly intelligent introverts just because they have they have that uncanny ability to believe in themselves. So because that believe in themselves will take them further, even if they do not put, possess the skill up front, as they have the, the confidence to go after things they feel they are, they're deserving of, and then once they get in the room, they will learn what they need to learn and get ahead, as opposed to most introverts who are already highly skilled and educated, but just because they don't have that same self-confidence to, to pursue things, they'll stay stagnant in the same place. So there's a lot of times in the workplace, people will look around and say, um, well, why him or why her and not me? And they feel like, well, I'm smarter, that person is coming to me and asking me for my resources and my skill set, but yet they're my supervisor, they're my, and, and the reason is like, well, you are a tool in their arsenal. And that's what I had to learn with my employees because I have some employees that have a knowledge base that's far vast than mine, that they have more experience um, than I do. They've been in more situations that I've never been in. They, they're aware of more resources, more interventions, more evidence-based practices than I do. And, and, and rightfully so, when, I, when I'm speaking to them, I'm like, you really know yourself. I, don't even, I didn't even know that. But you know what? Now, because you're on my team, I'm able to utilize your skill set. So it doesn't matter if I don't know it firsthand, my team member does. So this is part of my assets. These are part of my resources that I'm able to pull from. And I think that's one of the things that when we're pursuing these positions, we have to remember, it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to feel that, you know, um, I may not, but as long as you're teachable and you're coachable, be what matters because your team, if you build the right team around you, you'll be able to pull from that wealth of knowledge and you don't really necessarily have to only rely on yourself because that's the great thing of having a team. Those are great points. And as you were talking, I was looking for something that I posted on my Instagram at the MSW Career Coach um, a month, a few months ago. And it was something I learned from the CEO that I worked alongside of in my first macro position. Um, the most profound leaders are not afraid of being led. So you just talked about the fact that you are not afraid <laughs> to use the resources that are avail available to you, which is your, your team, your people that work to basically meet the mission of your agency, your department, whatever projects you're working on. And that is a very great point. So I thank you for being a leader that is not afraid to use what use the resources that are available to you and also admit that you don't know everything because we are humans <laughs> we are not robots um and so that is a great point that you just brought up did you ever know what population you wanted to work with because that is another common issue for people that 
follow me that are enrolled in my cohort program, they're not clear on what their population is. And I always tell people that I can tell when someone is not clear by looking at their resume, when they are moving from one population to the next. And this is generally standard for anyone who's been in the field longer than two years. If you're a new social worker, I urge you to move around. But anyone that's been in the field longer than two plus years and they're moving every year from one population to another, they need clarity on that. And that's something that I help them work through. But did you always know what your popu what population you wanted to work with? No, I didn't. I will say um, I had an inkling. Um, I, that's what I utilize my internships for. So when you're in school, that's like, that's a great way to figure out exactly who you want to work with and not. So my first internships, I worked with children. I learned pretty quickly, children are not for me. I'm easily triggered by children. And I will say like at some point before you go into the field, um, even if you don't feel you need it, like go to therapy, just like, even if it's just like a short term just to talk to someone once or twice just to like get things out of your head because sometimes there's things there that you don't realize are there until you go to therapy uh, I learned this um because I was having an intimate staffing with a young girl who was a runaway and her mom was having issues her, her mom was like you know the her, she it was a parentified relationship and her mother was just like she wants. She had an older boyfriend. And while I'm at this meeting, I'm visibly shaking my leg. And I didn't realize it until the director said she put her, her hand on my knee to calm me down. I didn't realize I was being bothered. Like the, the, this, and this girl's entire life was disturbing me. I was getting like, I was having a physical reaction. And then I realized, hmm, this is not for me. I don't think I could do children because I'm not able to be objective. I'm not able to have a clear mind. I have a bias. Um, I automatically think the mother is at fault in any, in any, when it comes to children, I automatically feel like they're children. They're the victim. The parents are wrong. And I mean, in every case, you can't approach every case as, you know, the parents are wrong because sometimes you have to look at issues beyond the parents. Sometimes the parent is going through something that's affecting the relationship with the child as well. And the parent may be a victim themselves. But of course, I, I realized during that experience that I was extremely biased and I would be the person that would just go in like, mm -mm, it doesn't matter what's happening with the parent. You're an adult, you're on your own. The child is focused. And I realized based on how the director would handle the family cases, I'm like, you really can't be like that because you know it's unfair to the parents because you know some parents, um, you have to be considerate of their issues. Like some of them, like you know, they're still suffering from their generational trauma or from from their own sexual trauma, like their unhealed abuses. And to just you know to tell them like they're an abuser and the child is a victim and not take into consideration what's going on with them as well is unfair to them. Realizing that bias, I realized children are not for me. Like I, I, I'm able to work with children on a scale where I can mentor them, which is something that I do. Like I can mentor children. I can serve as a big sister. But as far as clinical work or social work, like I, I have to. It's, it's, it's just something that um, it would be too triggering for me. Even if it would, it wouldn't be triggering on a short term. On a long term basis, I would, I would be burnt out. I would be burnt out at, I, I, and, I, and I would become ineffective. And, and that was one thing I, I wouldn't want to do um, to 
enter a population with good intentions, end up burnt out, and then at the end, end up being useless. Like, I wouldn't want to do that. So working with adults, I like working with adults, especially the elderly. One, because they're, they're like a wealth of, of knowledge they're, and they're so caring and they are like children themselves, except they have the capacity to make decisions. They have the capacity to have a deeper sense of understanding. They've already lived their lives. So they're a little easier to work with when, as it pertains to adults. But at this stage, um, I work with everyone, like the policies that I make and, and the, the things that affects the entire family unit. So I, I don't really narrow narrow down on on a specific you know children or vet. I, I, I work with veterans. I have um, a part of my program where I have an initiative that's specifically for veterans. I have an initiative that's specifically for substance abuse um, within my same program. So the interventions that I have in place affect just the society as a whole. So I don't really need to like necessarily focus on one individual population because the things that I do, like, you know, it benefits the family unit, it individuals and it benefits the family unit, but it's, it's more broad based. So since I don't have to really concentrate on that fine tune, I, I'm able to like have it very broad and then based on the participant that enters my program, we like we can tweak it and cater it specific and specifically and uniquely to their specific situation without necessarily wondering um, whether or not we are omitting a certain population. So for me, I, I, I have learned about myself. I like policies that social policies. I like creating social policies that help society on a whole more so than focusing on just a specific population. Because when I make an initiative for housing, housing affects everyone. When I make an initiative for substance, it affects everyone. Um, If I can assist a mom who's using substances to get off the substances before her baby is born, then that's one less baby that enters the dependency court and enters the foster care system. And I'm in turn really affecting change across a multitude of systems, not just I'm working with a mom and a child. I'm working out the work that I do is affecting not only that individual mother who's able to be with her child and not have to go through the foster care system and then worry about you know, reunification, she's able to keep her child. I'm able to put resources in place where I can I can arrange for an agency to work with her where she can get diapers, where she can get prenatal care, she could get postnatal care. We can stabilize housing, which we can um, send her back to school, give her a voucher for childcare, put all of these things in place that it lessens the chance for her to, to have an open child abuse case. It lessens the chance for them to come and say that um, this is not a safe place to live or she doesn't have the basic needs in place because we've already intervened and put all these things in place early on that that's one less family that's going to enter the child welfare system or the foster care system because we've put all of these preventative measures in place just by addressing all the, the social needs that affects a broad base of society. What a great example of macro level work um, because an example I like to give is usually on the, in my experience and um, on the micro level, usually we are addressing one sole issue when that issue is part of a much larger 
comprehensive reason, but we're not able to address all of those areas, specifically with the policy development, the program creation, things like that. So essentially, in my experience, what I was um, witnessing on the micro level were a lot of my, my, my customers coming back in and out of, this, of the program year after year, generation after generation. So that's great that you talked about the importance of the whole system as a whole, addressing you know, the family, the individuals, and all of the, the moving parts that contribute to um, what your agency focuses on. I have another question for you. Um, do you... Do you consider yourself as a career changer? And I'm only asking that because I, you know, me being me, Marthea, the, the, the career type person, I've noticed that your Bachelor of Arts degree is in some is in something different arts social work. Yeah. So did you have a career before becoming an official social worker? And let me explain why I bring that up to the audience. Um, there's a lot of research done out there by um, the CSWE on the um, employment outcomes of social workers post-graduation. And, and in reading that literature, what I found is that there are a large number of social workers who are defined as career changers, meaning their bachelor's degree is not necessarily in social work. Um, and they are now embarking on this new career change. So would you consider yourself as a career changer? Um, before I would say yes, within the past five years, I've been consistent with the type of work. Um, within the past five years, every, every position that I've held was um, a position that affects social, like social change. Um, as a eligibility specialist, I process food assistance. Like I worked with the like directly with mean tested programs. I work directly with the public. Um, the low socioeconomic um, population. As an investigator, I worked with the abused population. Um, as while I was an investigator, I did my internship in the child foster care system. And then I also did my internship with, um, it, it's in Florida here, it's child children in needs of service, like SINSFINS or family in needs of services. So I worked at the agency where um, they assisted family with um, children who were truants or juvenile delinquents and just providing familial support. So before I, um, I transition into this position now, um, as with the administrative side of it, um, I was on the front lines. Being on the front lines taught me that there were so many things that you had to follow while you were in the field and you don't know why you're following it. Like, you know, um, they said, if, if I have this case, I have to make this recommendation. But after I make this recommendation, when I go back to my supervisor, they're like, hey, um, it's day 59, this case has to get closed. Um, we can't have a case open more than 60 days. And you're like, uh, they still need help. And they're like, mm -mm, that, we did, we, they, all we have to do is this bare minimum, we met that requirement, shut it down. And you're like, uh, okay. And sometimes you walk away feeling like, you know, did I did I forget something? Did I leave something on the table? Did I leave them at risk? I wonder how they're doing. I mean, I hope it was okay because you have a, you know, you have 
numbers to meet yourself because if your caseload gets to a certain amount, like you have someone telling you like, why do you have this many cases open? If you have a case that doesn't meet a certain criteria, but you, you feel that they need more and they tell you, no, no, they don't. You have other people who really need your attention. This risk is low, so you need to leave them alone. And you're like, okay. And you kind of feel that, you know, is what I'm doing really that effective? Am I making a change? I'm, I'm, I'm treating one family one by one by one, but I'm, am I making a difference? You really don't feel like you're making a difference or you have some agencies, like when I was an adult protective investigator, um, housing was not something that was offered, like just um, affordable housing. That was not an option. Um, in order, if, if an elderly person or a disabled person needed housing, their, their only option was a SNF a nursing home or an ALF. If they didn't want to go to there and they had they had capacity to make their own decisions and they said, no, I'm not going, you couldn't force them. So there was plenty of clients who were homeless that I, I left at the park because they had capacity. They didn't want to go anywhere. So I had to leave them there. Did I feel good about leaving them there? No. Did I feel a sense of satisfaction like I did my job today? No. Legally, did I do my job? Yes, I did. But personally, did I feel like I did my job? No, I didn't. So when you when you when you look when you know, yes, a lot of social workers seem like they 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 kind of like leapfrog through careers, but I will say like sometimes really you do have to make those changes for you to know exactly what it is that you want to do. Like you you don't know you don't want to do something until you did you tried it and you're like, it's not for me. Um we I know I don't like broccoli because I tried it. Like, I know I don't like zucchini. I know I don't like pistachio because I tried it, didn't like it, didn't work for me. It doesn't necessarily mean something is wrong with me because I tried something and it, I didn't necessarily like it. Um, I do believe like the jobs that you you eventually fall in love with align so well with who you are as a person that you do need to try different ones to see what fits. We, and, and try different environments to see what fits. Um, someone who maybe likes working by themselves probably would would appreciate um, clinical social work because you're, after your client is gone and they leave and you're writing your notes, you don't have to deal with anyone else. You don't have to talk to anyone else. That's it. You go, you do your research to identify um, what interventions you should apply or what, uh, you know, what technique is best. And then you move on your day and you don't have to talk to anyone else and you, you know, you can move on. Maybe you like um, networking. So like, you know, at the mental level, like you're able to work with all these different agencies. You're able to do your staffing. You're able to interact with different things and, and they can give you that sense of fulfillment and that may be your thing for me I like I like building things and seeing how it, it works out like like it's I, I like creating policies I like creating procedures I and, and like seeing people do it and seeing how like how effective it is I've learned that's what I like to do I I actually enjoy administrative work so some someone will look at what I do and go that's boring you mean to tell me all you do is sit there and you so you write papers because when you're writing a policy, it, it very much looks like a paper. So you're like, you like writing papers all day? Yes, I do. I do like it writing paper. I like writing papers. 
I like creating PowerPoints. I like creating Excel sheets. I like my pivot tables with my data on it to determine whether or not my intervention was effective. I love all of that. I like researching tools of what I think is going to work best with this specific population. I like, like, this is what I like to do. Um, do I have to talk to people every now and then? Yeah, I may have to talk to, you know, just to obtain some um, background information. But do I have to talk to people like, on, on a level of a micro social worker where I'm, I'm like, it's, it's an assembly line of people coming into my office. No. And can I, do I want to do that? Okay. No, it's not for me. It doesn't work well with my personality. Um, I'm an ambivert. So there are times where I need to be left alone. And there's times where I, I, I could work a room. And this, this, this field allows me to do that because in macro social work, sometimes you may need funding. And you may need someone to sign off on something that you want to, you, you know, you have an idea. Someone has to sign off on that idea. And I, I know how to judge somebody up. I know how to go and burn somebody up. I'm great at that. So like it, it aligns with who I am as a person. It, it works for me. It works for my personality. And that's how you get that work-life balance and that personal sense of fulfillment. So if, if you're a person who, you know, you know, you like people well enough, you like creating things, you like um, solving problems, because one of the, the major tenets of what we do is solve a problem. You see a large problem, um, and instead of going door to door and trying to fix it, I think someone used the analogy of, um, they said um, a man was, the, um, there was, it was a man at a river, and all of these, they, there was like all of these people kept on going down the river downstream and he kept on trying to save them one by one, one by one. And he's like, and he's getting tired and tired because he keeps on going in the river and pulling people out, going in the river and pulling people out. Then he sees a man, you know, trooping up the hill and he goes, hey, where are you going? And the man goes, oh, I'm going to go on the stream and see why these people keep falling in the river. And I'm like, I'm that man who's going upstream to see why you keep falling the river because I'm going to get too tired trying to pull out. And you have to recognize that which one are you? Like, you know, and, and that's why like career change sometimes is important. Like there's people who are fortunate enough to understand their purpose and they can say, listen, this is where, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go from point A to point B and land at C. But if you're a person and you feel that, you know, you're still confused or you don't know your, pur your purpose just yet, some people don't know what their purpose is well into their 40s and 50s. And 60s. There's some people that, you know, it just takes time. Yeah. Um, others find it sooner, but you can't really beat yourself up. Um, if you feel like you're transitioning from job to job, you're, you're, you're just cultivating your experience. You're, you're sharpening your stone. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, some people may feel that, you know, um, it's for, I remember when I, when I first got to like working at 18, I remember I took a resume class and they said, um, when you're not at a job long enough, it shows inconsistencies and it shows that, um, that you're not dependable. I used to think that you really had to stay at jobs, just, you know, holding, just holding in all your, your anger and holding in all like, you, you know, just your, 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 your dissatisfaction because it, so you could show that you're a loyal, loyal employee when you go to the next job. And I think that's a baby boomer mindset. That's a mindset from when you could buy a house for $50,000 years and years ago. So, you know, you were rewarded for loyalty. 
now in this generation with how we are, I, I, I don't think you need to be confined to that requirement anymore. As for me, if a better job comes along tomorrow, I'm going, okay? No one, I'm not gonna say, you know, it's gonna look bad that I only did this yeah. for less than a year and I'm going to, no, I'm, I'm gonna go. I, you know, life is short. You don't know what's out there for you. If you haven't figured out yet what exactly that you like and where you are does not feel right to you, try something else. Like same thing for people. I believe the same thing with people. I tell people all the time, if you're somewhere and you're not happy, happiness is a choice. Happiness starts with you. Be a little selfish and, and choose you. You know, don't stay because your boss is nice. Don't stay because you love your coworker because you know that 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 is not what's gonna make you fulfilled. Enforcing your boundaries, prioritizing yourself, ensuring that you're loving on yourself enough that everything you do benefits you. As long as you're not hurting anyone else and you're doing what's best for you, go ahead and take that chance. Because if you leave a job on good terms, guess what? You can always go back there. Um, it doesn't matter if you've had five jobs in, in, in one year. If they ask you, hey, why did you feel the need to have five jobs in one year? You know, all of those seemed very interested. I was interested in all of those topics. And that was the best way I knew how to acquire all of the knowledge simultaneously. <laughs> that's, that, that's my, when Eddie's was, why did you chase them? That was the best way I knew how to acquire that knowledge simultaneously. And I'm grateful for all the opportunities. But now that, I, that I've had all of those experiences, I realize that type of work is really for me because I've had those experiences. So I know for sure now I am confident that I will not be pursuing those opportunities. And now I can focus on this opportunity. That's your, that, that's all that you can say. You tried it, it didn't work. And now you know for sure, this is what I like. Yes, those are valid points because I myself am a career changer. I started out in state government on the front lines and what propelled me to go into social work was me witnessing the service delivery in those agencies um, and me wanting to fix the face or um, repair the face of social service delivery. So career changers are a large percentage of our profession, but those oftentimes are some of the most passionate social workers because you have this breadth of knowledge that just really propels you into doing the work. Um, I wanted to wrap up with one question. Um, what is one, you've given a lot of great advice to aspiring macro social workers, but what is one tip or piece of advice you would want to leave them with, um, specifically regarding their career development, um, as far as like getting into macro work, transition, making the transition, anything, any lessons that you feel will be beneficial to them in their journey to macro? I would say, even if you feel you're not qualified for it, go for it. All those things that, that they're asking for, you can learn it later. Just, just go for it. Learn it later. People hire for you, for your, who you are, your personality. People hire people they like to work with, not for what they know. Because if, if you're agreeable and cooperative, they can teach you all that other stuff later. So just, just go for it. 
don't be afraid <laughs> go for it great advice so um as we wrap up tell the listeners where they can find you any of your social media platforms or handles or anything that you want to just make an announcement about um take this time to do that oh sure um i'm trying to remember um so on instagram my instagram is blue bonnet company i outside of social work um, as many social workers, I'm one of those multifaceted social workers. I have a day job and I have a side hustle because, you know, that is, it is what it is. Um, I, um, I own a website, which is bluebonnetgang.com. Um, where I make some head goods, I make some bonnets, like some sleepwear, um, because I'm a naturalista. So I do have things for, um, um, to make sure that when you're, when you're going to sleep, um, you have things to cover your head that's gonna, not going to slide off in the middle of the night and it's long lasting. Um, so that's where you can find me um, on Facebook. My name is A-S-R-A-E-L-I-T-A-M-A-R. Feel free to add me. And also Tanya is on LinkedIn. That's where I, I am on LinkedIn. Her. Yes, I forget. You know, I forget that LinkedIn is a social media site as well. It's not until someone messages me on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh yeah, LinkedIn, I'm here. <laughs> I found her on LinkedIn and I'm, I looked at her background. I'm like, oh my goodness, she's in Florida. She's a macro social. We have a lot of similar beginnings. Um, and I messaged her and was like, hey, do you want to come on my podcast? It was no more than like a few sentences. And she immediately responded back, yeah, sure, when? Without hesitation. So I thank you for that because the information that you shared today will help a future macro social worker. Um, so this is Marthea Pitts, the MSW coach. You can follow me on social media specifically Instagram at the MSW Career Coach. I'm also on LinkedIn as Marthea Pitts. I'm on Facebook as the MSW Coach and Twitter as the MSW Coach. And my website is MartheaPitts.com or you can put in your search engine the MSWCoach.com and it'll come up that way. So I leave you today with the second episode of Macro Social Work your way, where we're talking about the the day-to-day -day experiences and reality of macro social work and what it looks like outside of your MSW program. So again, thank you, Tanya, for joining me today. I'm going to come back around in a few months, maybe to see how your first 90 days in your new position is going. And so you can give us some insight on what a day-to-day -day looks like in your position. So I'll let you know. Sure. Uh, you know, that's great. And if any of you want to see what it is that I do, you can Google Hope Florida Pathway to Prosperity. So you, so you can have a little bit of insight exactly what it is that I do. Perfect. So this is Marthea Pitts, the MSW coach. Thank you and have a wonderful day.